thousand sunsets from ten thousand mornings, ten thousand chances to live the right way. But I would trade all my ten thousand sunsets. I could be like Jesus for one single day. I'd walk on the water and heal the sick children, feed all the hungry, give sight to the blind. I'd turn all the cannons and guns into flowers, turn all the whiskey to sacrament wine. That's what I'd do. That's what I'd do. Ten million stars are shining above. But I would trade all of my ten thousand rainbows. I could be like Jesus and give all my love. I'd remind the people that hate is an evil thing. Laugh at the children and tell them a tale. Welcome back to the Two Spies Report. I'm Mike Bennett. In our last report, we concluded our review of a seminal historical chapter from my last book, Two Masters and Two Gospels, Volume 1, The Teaching of Jesus versus the Leaven of the Pharisees in Talk Radio and Cable News. Concerning the historical data documenting the founding of the religious right media around 1940, by big business titans and Wall Street to build a grassroots following to stop the New Deal and workers' provisions and regulations, by creating the mass marketing of a new gospel, wealth class value system broadcast from pseudo religious mouthpieces quickly swaying the bulk of the conservative religious seminaries, clergy, and their flocks into an anti-poor, anti-worker way of thinking. We steadily documented the hard evidence of its establishment, right through its Nazi-sympathizing main practitioners, up through the 1950s to 1970s, in our weekly show since April. In this next installment, we will finally switch gears into a new chapter which will reveal that the philosophers writing the ideological content of these nationwide periodicals that formed its Christian libertarian foundations were anything but conservative. And although not known by name by their nationwide readers, established many more other esoteric and controversial movements within America, many of which will shock you, although they remained somewhat out of the limelight and thus are little known today. To ease into this new topic, we will begin the new chapter by reflecting on how the early Christian movement practitioners were warned within their own early scriptures how gullible and how easily they could be led away 
from the central values of their founder, like the Golden Rule in the Sermon on the Mount, beginning with the earliest two such movements, so immediate as to be documented within the Bible itself at the first generation of Christianity, one being a traditionalist, fundamentalist extreme group, and the other an esoteric belief system that applied metaphysical allegories to the intended literal spiritual realities expressed within the ministry of Christ. I now proceed with a recitation of excerpts from the beginning of the next chapter from my book. The Christian community had a problem with bad shepherds and strangers whispering into the ears of Christians, sometimes within their own ranks and by church leaders, ever since the early church was founded. In Christ's own warnings to the seven representative churches in the book of Revelation, mere decades after his original departure and the establishment of the Church of Pentecost, he spent much of the brief guidance he gave in these letters in addressing heretics they were already dealing with in their midst, including false apostles and Nicolaitans there at Ephesus, or false Jews in the synagogue of Satan and Smyrna and Philadelphia, the doctrine of Balaam, or preaching for hire, and the Nicolaitans at Pergamos, and the prophetess Jezebel, and the depths of Satan in Thyatira. The apostles and other epistle writers wrote to various churches, warning them about the perpetual battle in exposing a large array of false teachers in each community, even including, quote, they which creep into houses and lead in captivity silly women laden with sins, led away with divers lust, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Unquote. That's from Second Timothy three. And those quote, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole houses, teaching things which they ought not for filthy lucre's sake or for money. That's in Titus one eleven. However, two major sources of such errant teaching for which the Christian community seemed to be vulnerable were the Judaizers and the Gnostics. The Judaizers must have appealed to fleshly pride of being exclusively the children of God, as evidenced by their ritual separateness and elitism over others, and righteousness by good works. Alternatively, the Gnostics appealed to the fleshly sin that Eve succumbed to in the garden by Satan, who promised an experience where, quote, your eyes shall be open and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil, unquote, and knowing man's desire to, quote, make one wise. That's from Genesis 3. Defying the spiritual experience restrictions God had wisely placed on these neophytes who were well out of their league. This pride of spiritual magnification by an independent inward search for wisdom, which God had purportedly kept hidden or occult, apart from God's outward and selective revelation, as a means of transcendence and godhood is an alternative form of salvation, has always been an alternative seduction to Christians, apart from the legalism of the Judaizers. The epistles of 1 Corinthians, 1 John, and Colossians allude to their influences in these communities that the writer addressed, predominantly their insistence on the evils of the 
physical state and thus the denial of Christ as God in human flesh or crucifying on the cross or the need for physical purity and the assurance of a physical resurrection. Because this latter heresy has its nature in the beliefs uh, of recent historical figures we have mentioned as having influence on Christian leaders in our era, such as in the pages of Faith and Freedom, believe it or not, and with other libertarian leaders, we will briefly explain some facets of Gnosticism further. And then keep it in mind when exploring in depth the true spiritual underpinnings of these figures of influence to Christians and those in their circles who influenced them. The 1976 book, A History of Heresy, by the British Oxford-educated Quaker, David Christie Murray, has a section on Gnosticism. He points out the origin of their name being derived from the Greek word for knowledge, gnosis, as Gnostics claim to have a secret knowledge that was the key to salvation. He writes that their beginnings preceded Christianity by many years, and the problem which concerned all Gnostics was the reconciliation of the existence of evil with a God who is good. And thus, quote, since God is good and the material world is evil, he cannot have created it. He clarifies that they believe that God was a, quote, first father or principle, eternal eon, who created other spiritual beings, often paired in sexes, usually personifications of fundamental virtues like love or patience, and even Christ and the Holy Ghost numbering up to 30, and who deteriorated in their perf- perfectness the farther that they had emanated from him by breeding newer pairs, the last being Sophia, or Wisdom, who in lust bred the most imperfect Demiurge. This is their teaching. This last figure, or his son Yahweh from the Bible in some systems, not only created a corrupt physical world and mankind, for which he held in contempt, but also was ignorantly unaware of the higher eon divine figures, and thus thought he was the only God of the universe, which is their explanation of the self-omnipotence of what they viewed as the mean-spirited God of the Old Testament. In fact, in 1 Timothy 1.4, Paul tells church leader Timothy to, quote, Neither give heed to fables or endless genealogies, which minister questions rather than godly edifying which is in faith, unquote. And he told church leader Titus in Titus 3.9 to, quote, avoid foolish questions and genealogies and contentions and strivings about the law, unquote. In both cases, the Greek word for genealogies used there, or genealogic, ge- genealogia, Strong's G1076, is explained as, quote, the orders of eons, according to the doctrine of the Gnostics, in Thayer's Greek lexicon, which were the genealogies of spirit beings born from higher order eons, which the Gnostics would debate as to their proper order ad nauseum in their culture. Importantly, Christy Murray points out that a central premise of Gnosticism is that Christ came to bring Gnosis, and that in addition to the base fleshly passions and corruptions of the creator god Demiurge Yahweh had created,
created man from, Sophia had also secretly infused a higher spiritual essence, a spark of the divine. They also believed that most men had no such spiritual element and would be annihilated. They also saw the body as an earthly prison and to pass the various evil gods and demons that controlled the outer planets between us and the true source, man would have to obtain the gnosis or occult knowledge of the names of these entities and the proper password at each stage to control them and pass by. Now, this is the same teaching as in Isis worship and Egyptian Babylonian mystery religions, uh, the Kabbalah and Merkabah element in Orthodox Judaism, and even Western Freemasonry in a way. Incorporating uh, thus, quote, whatever there is of truth in all religions. He adds that in the Gnostic system, quote, salvation was not by mere faith and love, but by revealed speculative knowledge, esoteric intuition, or by magical rites, instruction, and initiation. The latter magical rites and initiation often performed with the drug-induced pharmacaea element of sorcery. Remember these phrases we are using in this sentence throughout the remainder of this chapter as we cover it. He adds that, quote, the heart of Gnosticism was mystery, free spirit from matter, and that in Christian Gnosticism, knowledge was supposed to come from the oral teaching of Jesus, which was never committed to writing. He writes that, quote, there were three stages of Gnostic development. The pre-Christian drew its inspiration from Greek, Jewish, and Eastern sources. In the second stage, a still mainly heathen Gnosticism used Christian ideas to fill up the gaps. The third stage presented Christianity modified by Gnosticism to make it acceptable to religious-minded intellectual pagans, and in this form was heretical and a real danger to Orthodox Christian belief. He writes that, quote, Gnosticism? though beginning before Christianity, had its early connections with it. Dositheus, said to have been a disciple of John the Baptist and therefore a contemporary of Jesus, was a Gnostic. He inspired Simon Magus, regarded by some Samaritans as, quote, that power of God, which is called the great power, from Acts 8.10. That is, the chief emanation from the deity and thus entitled to divine worship. Simon is shown in Acts as a Christian believer, baptized by Philip and reacting humbly when reproved by Peter for trying to buy the gift of the Holy Spirit with money. This is where the term Simon he comes from. But he reneged, for though not necessarily a full-blown Gnostic himself, the patristic writers regarded him as the father of heresy, the begetter of several Gnostic systems, and the first to combine Gnostic elements with Christianity. He was the reputed author of the Gnostic work called The Great Revelation, of which fragments remain. According to Justin Martyr, writing about a century later, he went further, claiming to be the first or supreme god. Irenaeus wrote of him, This man then, talking about Simon Magus, was glorified by many as if he were a god, and he taught that he himself had appeared among the Jews as the Son but descended in Samaria as the Father, while he came to other nations as the Holy Ghost. One of Simon's disciples was Menander. He practiced magic, for Gnosticism was theurgical as well as theological. 
his disciples, Balasilides and Saturninus, both developed their own versions of the creed. Now, these teachings began to assert that, quote, Jesus was not crucified, but that of Simon of Cyrene, who was compelled to carry the cross, was transfigured into the likeness of Christ, and was crucified instead. Jesus was given the appearance of Simon, and standing by, laughed at the mistaken Romans and Jews, unquote. This teaching, adopted by many major Christian heretical groups and even Islam, not only makes Jesus look cruel, but also strips away from Christianity its most essential and defining element, the vicarious atonement of Christ on the cross for the sins of mankind, restoring their fellowship with the Father and the eternal symbol of the church itself as the symbol of its redemption. Christy Murray notes that, quote, a very early history... Uh, a very early history, heresy, excuse me, early, teach, early church teacher Jerome wrote that this had come into vogue while the apostles were still surviving, while Christ's blood was still fresh in Judea. The Lord's body was asserted to be but a phantom. And in John comes the assertion that, quote, every spirit which acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. First John 4, 2. He writes that, quote, the Nicolaitans mentioned in Revelation 2 as hated by God may not be the same as the sect condemned by the patristic writers a hundred years later. If they were, their heresy was that was the common Gnostic condemnation of the creator God of the Old Testament. Other Gnostics taught that those who did not ascend spiritually were doomed to reincarnation. Of the spiritual classics, classes of men, they taught that the lowest, the pagans, were materialist, while, quote, others called psychics have a soul and believe in the demiurge, but are unaware of the spiritual world above. These would include the Jews and the ordinary Christian churchgoers. Those who are spiritual are those open to the promptings of their guardian angel, who accompanies them throughout their lives, reveals gnosis to them. History is a necessary progress from materialism to paganism by way of religion and ethics to spiritual freedom gained by Gnosis, unquote. They add that when, quote, when every spiritual being has received Gnosis and become aware of the divinity within himself, the world process will end, unquote. Christy Murray adds that, quote, even after its disappearance as organized sects in the 5th century, Christian Gnosticism has continued as a strain of thought in much speculation since. Now, Stephen Holler, director of the Gnostic Society of Los Angeles, and, quote, a leading figure in contemporary Christian Gnostic activities, and an author of a number of Gnostic historical books and its connection to Carl Jung, wrote a sympathetic explanation of the belief in the book called The Inner West, An Introduction to the Hidden Wisdom of the West. His succinct description of this belief system is that, quote, Gnosticism is the teaching based on Gnosis, the knowledge of transcendence arrived at by way of interior intuitive means, unquote, and rest on personal experience. Holler notes that, quote, the Gnosticism with which we are most familiar flourished among Christian sects in the first few centuries of the Christian era, 
and notes that most of what we used to know about them were from the heresiologist church fathers of the 2nd through 4th century CE, which were authors entirely hostile to the Gnostics, and that would include Irenaeus, Hippolytus, Tertullian, and Athanasius, and who taught that it was a Christian heresy, or a deviant and corrupted form of the real or mainstream Christianity, or paganism with a Christian coding. Now, this would be likely because uh, likely be because of their use of common Christian words such as Christ or salvation, albeit with different meanings that would confuse gullible Christian inquirers, as is common with the New Age movement today. He asserts that these views were demolished by 19th century German scholars who claimed that they were merely just other competitive varieties of Christianity at the time, albeit far less rigidly monotheistic, and with a feminine emphasis that may have had a relation to Egyptian or Greek goddess worship. He also notes that a pagan variant of Gnosticism called Hermeticism existed side by side with Christian Gnosticism, with possible influences from Persia, India, and elsewhere in Asia, as well as Hinduism and Buddhism, noting that, quote, these great Eastern, relig- tra- Eastern traditions recognize a form of Gnosis, called Janana in Sanskrit, which is regarded as a salvific form of enlightened knowledge, and even of Jewish historical provenance, and associated with the Jewish chariot mysticism, or what they call the Merkabah, and the origins of Kabbalah, according to the Nag Hammadi Library Discovery, which was found in the last century. Holler summarized Gnosticism in his view as, quote, a Jewish esoteric spirituality that assumed a Christian form after the coming of the Christian dispensation, which was subsequently repressed by a self-declared orthodoxy. While early Gnostic literature asserts that their beliefs were taught by Old Testament figures like Adam and his son Seth, he says that the Gnostic believes that the world was flawed because it was created in a flawed manner. And humans are strangers living in a world that's flawed and absurd. And rather than other religions that believe that humans are to be blamed for the imperfections of the world, such as the fall, Gnostics believe that this interpretation of the myth is false. The blame for the world's failings lies not with humans, but with the Creator. Thus, with monotheistic faith, this Gnostic position appears blasphemous. Although the author asserts that it is in fact the most sensible of all explanations, in his view. Holler affirms that the basic Gnostic belief has many variations, but all of these refer to aeons, or intermediate deific beings, who exist between the ultimate true God and ourselves. And that one of them, Sophia, birthed the Demiurge, who created a corrupted world, such as himself and being unaware of his own created origins, imagined himself to be the ultimate and absolute God, and whose name means half-maker, and who does not recognize the other divine half in humans, known as the spiritual divine spark, connected to yet higher powers, which many are ignorant of possessing. He also confirms that the psychic amongst humanity mistake the demiurge for the true God, and have no awareness of higher spirituality, and as humanity progresses from materialism to liberating gnosis, that, 
Quote, this kind of evolution of consciousness was envisioned by the Gnostics long before the concept of evolution was known. Now, although Gnostics have often viewed Jesus as a principal savior, Holler clarifies that Gnostics do not look to salvation from sin, either original or other, but rather from the ignorance of which sin is a consequence. Ignorance, whereby is meant ignorance of spiritual realities, is dispelled only by Gnosis, brought by Christ and the messengers of light. And it is not by his suffering and death, but by his life of teaching and his establishing of the mysteries that Christ has performed his work of salvation, unquote. A key distinction from historical Christianity that today's practicing Christians must never forget. He adds that, quote, Gnostic salvation may easily be mistaken for an unmediated individual experience. While, in a very important understanding of the free-willing spirituality of the 60s, quote, morality, therefore, needs to be viewed primarily in temporal and secular terms. It is ever subject to changes and modifications in accordance with the spiritual development of the individual and that it falls to the intuition and wisdom of every individual Gnostic to distill from these principles individual guidelines for personal application. Holler also shows the close connection of the psychological philosophies of Carl Jung and his perceived psychological relevance of Gnostic insights and the Nag Hammadi library discovered in the 1950s, as this ancient teaching prefigured and clarified the nature of Jungian spiritual therapy, and concluded that the Gnostic worldview is experiential and based on a certain kind of spiritual experience in Gnosis. Now, this Gnostic worldview, that man is in an absurd, illusory world for which he rightfully does not understand or fit in, and that some will achieve Gnosis of a higher, truer reality above it and try to ascend, has proliferated our culture in myths, and that is now its common means of disseminating its beliefs. Even in modern entertainment, like the Matrix movies, or even the Truman Show. For some reason, many Christians through the ages have been seduced by such beliefs, with its promises of deeper knowledge or wisdom, and obtaining self-definity above the Creator. Or that's what they call, what some call the deep things of Satan, in Revelation 2.24. And today is no exception. A perceptive reader will not only recognize the worldview just considered and its terminology as basically being coincident with the New Age movement, but while portions of the mystical Christianity tradition associated with the recent emergent church movement might possibly have some merit for a mature believer, many of its elements would have similar perceptions as well. For all readers or listeners here, Please take note and remember all of the specialized terms used in this brief description of Gnosticism, such as intuition, inner knowledge, self-definity, and initiation into deeper spiritual truths that transcend the physical realm, exhibiting either extreme asceticism and physical mortification, or the opposite of libertine free love and moral latitude both of which debase and disregard the importance of the physical body and its functions. And even the assistance of theurgic entheogen drugs, such as 
shamanic sorcery pathways for communication with higher beings. Also remember its contrast and contempt for the offense of the cross and the finished work of Christ, and the latter's acknowledgement of sin and atonement and the sole work of God rather than man, as opposed to the evolutionary spiritual ascent of man. We will now see repeatedly, as we proceed, that they are the beliefs of the men we have met so far in our review and their prominent fellow travelers who have influenced libertarian thought and big business, including the Christian forms as taught to hundreds of thousands of clergy via the Faith and Freedom newsletter and other media organs. But we're going to take a break from our narrative from my book. That was a long break there. Two Masters and Two Gospels, Volume 1, The Teaching of Jesus versus the Leaven of the Pharisees in Talk Radio and Cable News, which is available in print and ebook form at Amazon or Barnes & Noble and many other retailers. And I encourage you to obtain a copy and study it to decide for yourself whether the data and insights it asserts have any merit or not. When we return to this narrative from my book, we will show how a mystical experience overtook the successor of Reverend James Fifield, the Apostle to the Millionaires, as the editor of the original party organ of big business, Christian Libertarianism, known as Faith and Freedom, and took both himself and his readers directly into the bowels of the Gnostic Abyss, by his own admission. We will also begin to meet one of the most influential figures of the 20th century American culture on many fronts that no one knows about who became the spiritual mentor and Pied Piper of this man and generations after him. However, our next segment will be our normal mid-show contemporary intelligence briefings. As we return yet again to the, funny if it weren't so serious, soap opera psych saga of Tim Ballard and his Operation Underground Railroad anti-human trafficking racket, we will now really delve deep into the ground-shaking events of the summer of 2023, this summer, pertaining to Ballard and Operation Underground Railroad, as his pseudo-biographical film soared the heights of popularity, while his and their secrets became impossible to cover up, even to gullible Christian supporters. Before that, however, it's time for some music for meditation. There is a strange song I came across that was supposedly released in 1968, by an obscure group called The Fourth Way, called The Far Side of Your Moon. A YouTube commenter uh, about the song mentioned that the title and lyrics to this song came from the poem The Far Side of Your Moon by the prominent English poet Robert Graves, and indeed that poem's lines are verbatim in the song. Graves was the author of I, Claudius, and many other important literary works, and in 1967 was considered as a candidate to be the United Kingdom's Poet Laureate. Graves was the quintessential British man of letters of the period, a child of the imperialistic British Empire period. As a literature academic, he immersed himself into old romantic legends of pre-Christian British Isle myths, while living an artist, libertine, bohemian life of experimental sexual practice, affairs, and embracing atheism in his youth, and enduring the traumas and PTSD of the World War I battlefield. 
One of his most important works of literature was The White Goddess in 1948, which asserted the real existence of a European deity called the White Goddess of Birth, Love, and Death, represented by the phases of the moon and the source behind the myriad of Europe's pre-Christian pagan religion history. With pure poetry, linked to her ancient cult ritual. He was also influenced by the Golden Bough, strengthening its insinuation that Christianity was only a refinement of the primitive and even barbarous beliefs, and suggests that goddess worship is the prototypical religion. Now his, his work later influenced matriarchal religions and feminist theology, and obviously modern Wicca. And he claimed that male-dominant Judaism and Christianity supplanted the goddess and were the cause of the modern world's woes. And other works of influence he did and on, that influenced today's neo-pagan movement. His work, King Jesus, asserted Jesus was not divine or a messiah, but rather a hereditary king through Herod, and in which the New York Times literary reviewer said was connected to Gnosticism. It's funny that the band chose the name The Fourth Way and released it on Beelzebub music label. Their name was the central religious system of the 20th century esoteric mystic George Gurdjieff, author of the book Beelzebub's Tale to His Grandson, named after Jesus' name for Satan, uh, which held Gnostic views of lesser cosmic deities opening our gnosis to greater realities. Having said all that, enjoy the far side of the moon, and then we'll return to the Two Spies Report. The far side of your moon is black, and glorious grows the vine. Ask anything of me you lack, but only what is mine. Yours is the great wheel of the sun, and yours the unclouded sky. Then take my stars, take every one, but wear them openly. Walking in splendor through the plain, for all the world to see. For none alive shall view again, a match of you and me.
Welcome back to the Two Spies Report. I'm Mike Bennett. As I mentioned last week, since August we have been covering the exploits and travails of anti-child trafficking showman Tim Ballard and his Operation Underground Railroad Roadshow, which has taken the conservative and Christian world by storm, particularly with the release of their tall tale, supposed biographical film on Ballard, entitled Sound of Freedom. Having pointed out trailblazing reporters that exposed their corruption and deceptive narrative as far back as 2015, and greatly accelerated since 2020, we noted both the release of their windfall-generating film in July of this year, and an announcement in May that a local Utah County attorney was dropping an investigation into their fundraising and financial management, without much explanation of an investigation that had not even had an announcement of its existence before and could have been shelved without public notice. Shortly thereafter, Utah's Mormon muckraker, independent journalist Lynn Packer, began to tell the rest of the story concerning this aborted inquiry. Mr. Packer released another investigative report on his YouTube channel on June 28, 2023, entitled Quote, our, our Video Report 29, The Grand Jury Investigation. In this report months ago, shortly after the investigation was closed, he reports findings that comprised, one, the suspicious termination of a federal grand jury criminal investigation into Tim Ballard and Operation Underground Railroad, or Our. Two, FBI agents ignored evidence that our operatives bribed Haitian judges and police officers in connection with the purported rescue of child sex slaves. Three, the LDS or Mormon Church pub, Church Public Affairs Department's connection to a leak of a confidential letter that officially ended the Davis County Attorney's hour, that's Operation Underground Railroad, hour investigation. He notes that the investigation began and ended in secrecy, and that its existence was never reported by mainstream news outlets, as Packer had exclusively reported a grand jury had been convened, and there was nothing about when, how, or why the grand jury case was killed, without any closure and no inquiries if a deal had been struck. He also notes that there were two FBI forensic accountants assigned to the case, but there was no forensic audit of our finances, in the $100 million annual financial operations that then comprised Operation Underground Railroad, or OUR. Packer also notes, Mormon Church involvement in a leaked confidential declination document from a top public affairs representative and a leaked confidential letter about the attorney's office closing the OUR investigation. The grand jury investigating Ballard and his group was terminated at a February 2022 meeting at the U.S. Attorney's Office at Salt Lake. Ballard's legal representation there would have included Alessandra Serrano. There was shown an audit initiated by our of themselves by their selected auditor that showed there was no wrongdoing. The FBI was not allowed to participate nor the U.S. attorneys to fact-check the Our Legal Counsel presentation, and it was not evident that this new evidence was given to grand jurors. Ancura had conducted the audit, a company sued before for falsifying audits.
The Jones Day Law Firm also represented them, which is known as the nation's MAGA law firm, with Don McGahn, who became White House counsel and, and who, was, who brought in more Jones Day lawyers there into the White House, and helping run Trump's presidential campaign. And Packer shows televised interviews of investigators that alleged Jones Day personnel in Trump's White House office who legally also represented Walmart and who tried to kill a Justice Department suit with Walmart over opioids. Karen Hewitt of Jones Day was in the middle of it and was in the Ballard meeting as well. No actual forensic audit was actually done, even though an FBI forensic accountant was assigned, but he had no forensic accounting experience when hired and was not even a licensed CPA and had not even conducted a simple audit. Packer interviewed contacts in Haiti who said that Ballard and Operation Underground Railroad had bribed police and judges in Haiti. When he talked to the real person represented in the as Batman in the movie, he called the money as being payments to these officials, as they put these government officials, in essence, on their payroll. A Haitian official also testified that our used crooked judges and police officers. Now, Packer notes that although the U.S. attorney investigation closed in February 2022, the Davis County, Utah investigation stayed open for another year. He notes that the Mormon newspaper, the Deseret News, uh, aforementioned article of May 12, 2023, which we actually covered on a previous show, announced the end of the Davis County investigation. Well, that came as a surprise to everyone. It was a scoop and cited a declination statement obtained by Deseret News to discontinue the investigation. They cited a cause being the audit of our they received, which was produced by our itself through a third party. Packer notes that the paper had never noted there was a criminal investigation before. It did not explain how it got the confidential declination letter, and the paper did not explain why a rookie reporter was assigned the story. Packer talked with the young reporter, who reported that he agreed it was fishy, saying that the handling of the story was not typical and weird. He was not assigned to the story by news editors, but by another senior person who had gotten the story from Mormon Church Public Affairs, being told it was a sensitive story and that it would be the beginning and end of the paper's coverage of the story. It was this person, and not the author uh, of, the, of the article, who got the letter, and the author did not even know who the person's sources were. Now, the new movie uh, from Hour was advertised in the paper just before then, the same paper. This senior person, Hal Boyd, who used to be with the Mormon uh, Church Public Affairs Office himself, who had directed all this, three senior apostles in the church had invested $600,000 in the film projects. Now, another Deseret News reporter there filed a disclosure request with the government office to find out who filed the complaints leading to the investigation, but was denied. It was discovered that our attorneys had requested a denial of the request to the newspaper, with it revealing grand jury secrecy protections. The first such uh, disclosure that even such a grand jury existed. In conclusion, Packer mentions that Eduardo 
Veres Degui, who was the uh, producer of the movie, plans to, uh, Sound of Freedom, plans to run for president of Mexico. He's connected to CPAC here and is using the Sound of Freedom film showings in his meetings, his political meetings. He also noted that in 2022, Ballard's salary went from 334000 to $566,550. Although Ballard had pledged to take no salary. In 2019, Ballard pledged that, quote, it was always my goal to become a volunteer and to not take donor dollars for myself, unquote. He also notes that Elon Musk wants to play Sound of Freedom for free on Twitter. He also notes that Marjorie Taylor Greene was a big endorser of Sound of Freedom and one of the biggest spreaders of fake news about kids using kitty litter to defecate inside public schoolrooms for kids in furry subculture and the insinuation of its connection to protecting transgender students. And Lauren Bolbert has spread the hoax as well. Packer shows a vi- video of Tim Ballard asserting this as well, saying that kitty litter was being used in Utah schoolrooms as well. Packer also quotes Jim Caviezel in this report, the star of Sound of Freedom, who plays Ballard, in his promotional meetings, talking about the QAnon theory of adrenochrome harvesting, of millions of kids' sex slaves are getting killed to get it. Now listen to this, and he claims that the processing plants for the QAnon adrenochrome are in Ukraine, but Russian President Vladimir Putin is working to stymie production and partly why he invaded, but that the CIA, FBI, DHS, and Department of Justice are part of the child organ harvesting conspiracy. This is according to the star Jim Caviezel. Packer warned Ballard an hour, in conclusion, that the Sound of Freedom movie, which was just being released at the time, Packer reported that with this it might prepare Ballard to new levels of stardom and support, but also subject them to new levels of media fact-checking. A concluding published story comes from Insider Today on July 13, 2023, with the title, Sound of Freedom. This summer's surprise blockbuster is fronted by a QAnon supporter and financed by a man who defrauded Medicare. Unquote. That's the title. They note that under the title that one of the film's executive producers pled guilty to defrauding Medicare of $89 million in 2020. As an aside, they note in the same month of May, in another interview this month with alt-right figure Jordan Peterson, Ballard said that he had just raided a West African baby factory where children are sold for organ harvesting and satanic ritual abuse. Elaborating on the headline, the article authors note that Sound of Freedom wrapped production in 2018, but sat in limbo for five years until its distribution rights were acquired by four Mormon brothers who crowdfunded a campaign to get it in theaters. During that period, one of the movie's early investors pled guilty to a massive scheme to defraud Medicare. They add that the Sound of Freedom executive producer, Andrew McCubbins, a Utah serial entrepreneur, ran a telemedicine company that paid kickbacks to physicians and nurses in exchange for unnecessary prescriptions for genetic screening tests, which were processed by a lab McCubbins owned according to charging documents in an insider interview with McCubbins. 
They note he stated he had invested several hundred thousand dollars in The Sound of Freedom, and he told them he invested in the film because he hoped Sound of Freedom would make people vote in a way that would help protect traffic children. Well, that very same day, July 13, 2023, a nuclear bomb dropped into the public news cycle concerning Ballard and Hour. On that day, Vice News reported that, quote, Tim Ballard, founder of Operation Underground Railroad, has quietly parted ways with the controversial anti-trafficking group. The news comes as Sound of Freedom, a heavy fictionalized depiction of Ballard's work for the Division of Ice in his early career as a private anti-trafficking operator, continues to draw at the box office. The movie has brought in just under $50 million, Okay, that's by July largely on the strength of a marketing campaign encouraging religious audiences to not only attend the movie, but to pay it forward by buying tickets for other people, bringing unprecedented attention to both Ballard and Hour. So he's gone now. In recent days, sources with knowledge of Hour began to tell Motherboard that Ballard had left the organization. By one account, he'd gone to donors in a state of upset, saying that he'd been forced out and asking for their help with a new organization. Another person who's worked with the group said that, to the best of their knowledge, he was no longer with Auer and was focusing on his work with the Nazarene Fund, a Glenn Beck-backed organization that is focused on religious minorities in the Middle East, but more recently, listen, operated in Afghanistan and Ukraine. A third permission, uh, person familiar with Auer fundraising said, that they had just heard this week that Ballard had broken with the organization. So, Glenn Beck made him CEO of the Nazarene Fund prior to this time uh, as well, and he was still continuing as such. In a statement, an hour spokesman said, Founder Tim Ballard has recently stepped away from Operation Underground Railroad prior to the launch of the film Sound of Freedom. They added, Matt Osborne continues to serve as the president and CEO of the organization. On LinkedIn, Osborne is listed as having served as the president and CEO since February 2023, which was six months ago. Ballard has made no mention of his departure from Hour, as he began a one-man press tour focused on the film and the Jim Caviezel-played character based on him. In recent days, he's been interviewed on Fox News, telling Jesse Waters that criticism of the film by mainstream media outlets was playing into the hands of pedophiles and by the New York Post, where he said enforcing the border is the only compassionate thing to do if you care about the children. Now, Ballard has long claimed that a porous southern border leads to sex trafficking of children, a view not shared by most experts in anti-trafficking work. On his program, Waters introduced Ballard as the founder of the Spear Fund, a new organization that has not previously been mentioned. A bare-bones website for the Spear Fund lists Ballard as the co-founder, along with a woman named Jessica Munoz, who LinkedIn says is an emergency medicine nurse practitioner in Hawaii. Ballard's biography on Instagram, the platform he's most active on, describes him as Auer's founder and the current CEO of the Nazarene Fund. Although the website has few additional details, a description reads only, the Spear Fund relies on experts in the field of anti-trafficking to consult on its many projects. A donation page is already active. Our referred further questions to the media contact for Ballard, who's also listed as a spokesperson for Angel Studios, 
the force behind the distribution and marketing of Sound of Freedom. Five days later, Vice added further late-breaking details as to the cause of the split. In their July 18, 2023 article, quote, Tim Ballard left Operation Underground Railroad after investigation into claims made by employees, unquote. They write that, quote, an anonymous letter sent to employees of and donors to the anti-trafficking group Operation Underground Railroad asserts that founder Tim Ballard left the organization recently after an internal investigation and claims made against him by multiple employees, something which our does not dispute. The letter was shared with Motherboard, which is a part of Vice, by a person active in Utah philanthropic circles, who said that it is a topic of conversation amongst our donors. A separate source, who did not mention the letter, reached out to Motherboard last week to report that employees at Hour learned recently about an internal investigation at Hour into allegations against Ballard. Now they continue. The letter claims that an Hour employee who accompanied Ballard on an undercover operation abroad filed a complaint against him with Hour's Human Resources Department after the trip and that a follow-up investigation culminated in his resignation. In response to a detailed request for comment on the claims made in the letter, Auer provided the following statement. While Tim Ballard stepped away from Auer several weeks ago, we continue to pursue Auer's core mission. They added that Ballard has appeared in a series of videos sponsored by the conservative nonprofit and advocacy group PragerU. Donald Trump, under whose administration Ballard was appointed head of an advisory group tasked with making recommendations on federal anti-trafficking policy, is also scheduled to host a screening of Sound of Freedom at his Bedminster Golf Club this week. As Vice News has reported, a previous letter accused Ballard and the organization's leadership of misusing donor funds and unspecified misconduct toward women. At the time, Hour confirmed such a letter existed and was circulating and told us, the Hour Board of Directors received the letter 12 months ago and after thorough investigation found zero evidence to corroborate the allegations contained in the letter. The letter circulating now alleges that the Board of Directors and attorneys for the organization made agreements preventing Hour executives from discussing the results of the investigation. In an Instagram video posted Monday evening, shortly after Motherboard reached out to his representative for comment, Ballard told his viewers to expect more lies about him, assailing what he called the godless leftist media for running interference for human traffickers and throwing everything at me right now. He decried specific ridiculous conspiracy theories he'd seen online about himself, accusing him of supporting the microchipping of children to support a Masonic agenda, for instance, and warned his interviewers, his viewers to expect more to come. Well, at least he had Glenn Beck's Nazarene Fund to operate, right? Well, the following day, July 19th, Vice also published an article entitled Tim Ballard out as CEO and Glenn Beck back Nazarene Fund. They write that the organization confirmed Ballard's departure as CEO exclusively to Motherboard in a statement on Wednesday afternoon. Now, we're going to have to come back and cover most of that in our next time uh, when we come back to cover these stories. Well, these were just a few storylines and many less than what I want to cover this week from a few weeks, a couple of weeks after the big disclosure of Ballard from Auer. 
and a little bit disclosed about why. In the next few weeks, we are going to see how deep the, dra- the depravity is going to proceed, now starting to be laid bare weeks later. Well, friends, that's another edition of the Two Spies Report. In our next edition, we will continue with our review of my book, Two Masters and Two Gospels, Volume 1, The Teaching of, the, uh, the teaching of Jesus versus the Leaven of the Pharisees and Talk Radio and Cable News, which I encourage you to get in print or ebook form at places like Amazon or Barnes & Noble and take a look at it yourself. Please send any comments about the show or questions to twospiesreport at gmail.com. That's T-W-O-S-P-I-E-S report at gmail.com. These are for questions or comments to discuss on air. Uh, Please let us know if it's not to be shared and broadcast. Please join us back here at 5 p.m. Central each Thursday at Radio Free Nashville, WRFN, at 107.1 or 103.7 FM on the dial or streaming live online at www.radiofreenashville.org. See you next Thursday at 5. Until then, keep exploring like the two spies, assessing and staying positive, and be willing to stand against the crowd. Good evening. Walking down the road With the good book in my hand Telling all my friends about the promised land the peace of mind telling all my brothers